Well, this morning we're looking at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we know that our chapter divisions in our Bible are meant to be helpful. They're not necessarily, or they're not inspired, the chapter divisions. They are there, given by translators to try to help understand flow, and there's a continuance in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, which is evident by the very first word of the verse in chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, that therefore is built upon what has just been spoken about in the previous chapters. We're going to bring all that together and get into chapter 4 this morning. The nature of where we're going to be throughout this chapter is the work of the ministry and hindrance and hope. Well, it's interesting as we come into this passage, I'll, I'll start by just kind of giving the back up and running into this. Uh, therefore, uh, verse 1, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. So I'm going to unpack that a moment and say, well, what ministry and what's the therefore, therefore? Well, therefore is built upon what we've just read largely in 2 Corinthians 3, and that there was a, a comparison of the work of the old covenant under the law and the work of the new covenant born of the Spirit. And I think culminating in verse 17 and 18 of 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. So the freedom that we have, we have to, I think anytime you talk about this, especially in America, when we talk about freedom, we think about politics. But the truth is the freedom that God gives is greater than you have in any form of politics. And uh, we've taken time throughout this study to recognize that the world um, strains at freedom and strains at the loss of freedom or sometimes the acquisition of power over people's freedom. You've got questions about that. Uh, look to your north. Uh, we've talked about that, looking at what's going on in Canada. Look at what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. And look at what's going on in our own country with the vie of power uh, at the cost of your freedom. Freedom for safety's sake. Uh, so all those are politically loaded. And uh, I know that that's reality in the world. But again, I will just underscore the message of 2 Corinthians 3 is that the freedom that we have in Christ through the Spirit is greater freedom than the world could ever know. Why? Because ultimately it's about your salvation. Ultimately it's about where you're going to spend eternity. And the blessing of the gospel and the freedom that is in Christ is Jesus paid it all. Jesus made a way for everyone that wants to be saved to be saved. It is a ministry of the Holy Spirit that is working in the world to draw people to the saving knowledge of Christ in the midst of a very sin-stained world. But when you come to know Christ and the doctrine of the gospel that is in Christ, it is truly freedom. It is a freedom to know that I don't have to wake up today and come to church so that I can get to heaven. I don't have to wake up today and make sure I gave him the offering plate so I can pay for my sin and get to heaven. I don't have to be nice tomorrow so that I can get to heaven. Now, it doesn't mean I don't need to be nice tomorrow, but I probably should be nice today. That'd be a good starting point. But in all of these, it is the idea that there is freedom in Christ. This is the ministry of the Spirit. And then not only is there freedom, but there is a, a hope and a goal and a working of God in the very last of verse 18, we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And here's the truth of the gospel. There's not only coming a day where we're going to see Christ, but he's going to change us to be like him. 
where the Bible promises there will be no more sorrow, sickness, pain, or death in heaven. And it's all because of Jesus. So that's the good news of the new covenant. And that's the covenant that's been offered through the shed blood of Christ for anyone that will believe. So you have then a ministry that's been given to all of the redeemed. Everyone who's been saved has a ministry of the spirit that you have been given to which Paul references in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, this word for the world, there is freedom in Christ. Seeing that we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Now, as we unpack this, I think it's important to know that this idea of ministry that's given in verse 1 of chapter 4 is mentioned in chapter 3. Obviously, chapter 4, and it's mentioned in chapter 5, in chapter 6, in chapter 8, and in chapter 9 several times, and in chapter 11. So in other words, there's much of 2 Corinthians that is all about ministry. And as we look at the title today, the work of the ministry in hindrance and hope, we need to start with understanding that we have been given a ministry. Now, I think it's important this morning to understand the importance of that ministry. So let's just take a moment and recognize that the greatest and most important thing the world could know today is that there is a Savior. Amen? So we live in a very dark world today. A godless world, which we'll talk about here in just a moment that is trying to find hope and significance outside of God, and that is a very black place to be, a very dark place to be. And all you have to do is look at the world around you and, and see all the trouble that's in the world and recognize that we're a lost people full of turmoil. The truth is you don't really have to look at the world around you. You also know it within your soul. If you... If you are here this morning and not saved, you recognized and not sure of your relationship with Christ, you recognize that there's a hole in your life, something that's missing. And that something is missing is found in Romans chapter 1 where God says that he's revealed himself through the world. He's re revealed himself through creation. And in Romans 1.16, he talks about the power of the gospel. Well, the point is, is that God wants to meet you where you are. He wants to meet you in your need of salvation. Matter of fact, you know, do you live with any kind of fears today? Well, no, I'm not. I don't have any fear because I'm, I'm a believer and I've got no fear. Yeah, well, the Bible tells us to fear not because fear's there. <laughs> and we have to make a decision not to be afraid. But are there things you can be afraid of? No, I know this is weird. Uh, but uh, I have been talking to <laughs> several of... Um, the fellowship people that have been here for some time. And we're this year, this year we're going to celebrate uh, 20 years as a church. And you know what that means? It means that we've watched each other get older. <laughs> and it ain't been pretty. <laughs> That's not nice. Uh, it's not been easy. And I was talking to one believer about they've got this problem and another believer about that, that problem. My wife and I were talking and she was trying to send me some videos about health. And that's like sending me vitamins. It was like, okay. And, and at some point I said, honey, 
We don't, uh, you know, this is encouragement we're going to have. Whether you think this is good encouragement or not. I said, honey, we are going to die. (laughs) So stop fretting it. It doesn't mean you don't do what you can. She was trying to send me. I'm sorry if this is going to be offensive to you. I'm kind of sorry. (laughs) But obviously not sorry enough not to say it. So my wife sent me some video of some vegan nut. <laughs> and, and that doesn't mean that everybody that is vegan is a nut. I don't think. <laughs> Sometimes people are there because they got, they got reasons. But if that's what I got to do to live, I'm going to heaven, brother. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I know that my, my sister, she's a nurse, right? And... Uh, Back when my grandfather was alive, um, he had been given the typical diagnosis by doctors. You got health trouble and you got heart trouble and you need to kind of curb your diet. And they, in the South, they got a restaurant. They don't have it so much out West. They got a restaurant out there called Hardee's. You might know about Hardee's. Grandpa would go to Hardee's for breakfast. He'd get biscuits and gravy and bacon. This is Mississippi. And that's, I mean, that's just like, that's like breathing, <laughs> okay? Biscuits and gravy and bacon. So anyway, my sister'd be like, "Grandpa, you need to, you need to." Not, you know, she'd try to curb his diet, and Grandpa'd just smile, and, and he'd order his biscuits and gravy and bacon. Grandpa died at eighty-two. Now, some in this room over eighty-two, but I think eighty-two is a good long life. And I don't know that I'm going to reach 82, but here's what I know. The world screams for a savior because something's going to get you somewhere, sometime, something's going to take you if the Lord doesn't come back first. And if you don't know him, you are in jeopardy. So we have a ministry. We have a ministry and that ministry shockers is more important than who's elected to office. That ministry is more important than a cure for cancer. That ministry is more important than seeing COVID eradicated from the planet. Why? Because I don't care what saves you from the present danger. You need saved in your soul. So there's a lot of things that are important to you right now. I get it. A lot of things going on in your life. But there is no greater ministry than the ministry that God has given to us through the spirit of the new covenant. That there is a way for the world to be saved and we need to be saved. Now, we've got in this what Paul is referencing as trouble in the church. And before he gets there in verse 4, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, he makes this note. Now, if you're here this morning and you think that we're talking from a place of privilege, like, well, look at us, look what we, look what we have. Well, honestly, in one respect, it is a place of privilege, but it's under the banner of mercy. There's no one in this room that deserves what God has done for us. There's no one in this room that is worthy of the goodness of God. 
But it says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy. So I've got a question for you. Do you need God's mercy? You think about that. Are you a sinner? Have you blasphemed God's name? Have you lied? Have you thought evil thoughts about other women or other men? And have you lived in your heart and in your actions a life of sin? Do you, do you need the mercy of God? Well, the only difference in this room are those that have received his mercy and those who haven't. And it comes down to what have you done with Christ? But Paul is saying, we are stewards of this ministry. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, and he says, as we have received mercy. Now, I want to give you one passage about Paul's receiving mercy. It's 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 15. Go ahead and turn there. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 15. First Timothy 1, 12 through 15. I'm going to ask we read that out loud together. If you've got your Bibles there, you can read them with me. By the way, we do that not every time that we read Scripture, but we do it on purpose so that we read the Word of God in worship together. I think it's healthy for a church to read the Word of God together. So First Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, if you'll read with me. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me... For that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And all God's people said. So it's, it's been said, if God can save Paul, he can save anybody. Amen? Someone who persecuted the church, someone who saw people killed and imprisoned and harmed as an unbeliever. Persecuting those who did believe. And yet, he says, as we've received this ministry... He says, as we have received mercy. And that's the point. That everyone who is saved has received the mercy of God. And that is the, that is the doctrine whereby God does not execute his wrath upon a deserving sinner. Matter of fact, I'm going to reference this again. Uh, how defiant are we? It's funny that one of the questions, this is now three weeks that this question's been in my head. There's a statement of an unbeliever who says, why can't God just leave us alone? And I want you to think about what that means to shake your fist in the face of God and say, leave me alone. And yet, do we recognize when we say to God, leave me alone, it means that we leave his mercy as well. It is a loving God who's made a way for us as sinners to be forgiven and have heaven. And he doesn't do it part way. He doesn't do it in question. He doesn't leave you wondering. It's Jesus or nothing. 
And when you have Jesus, you have it all. Forgiveness of all your sin. Even though you don't deserve it. So as we receive mercy, says, therefore, seeing as we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Now, this is directed towards believers. So in this room this morning, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, you are outside of God's mercy right now and under the wrath of God, according to John 3, 18. But the good news of the gospel is that you can have that mercy today, but you must submit and surrender your heart to him. There is no other way to be saved. And some are foolishly saying, yeah, well, I don't believe all that stuff. Well, you're denying the creation around you that screams the testimony of the glory of God. Now, I know this is loaded. You can get distracted by this statement. But it's worth saying, if you are putting your faith in what is so-called science today, you have never had an opportunity to understand how science cannot become science than in the world that we live in today, where it can become agenda-driven, where it can become just the sinful, carnal, carnal heart of man wanting to deny God. But denying God is a lot like denying the principles of the laws of gravity. You cannot deny them. You can deny them, but they will still have their effect upon you. So don't be foolish and turn your back in hatred. I often find this is interesting because it's going to come up in the next part of this passage. We have an enemy in this world and it is Satan. And it's amazing to me how we'll turn the wickedness in the world and blame God. When he says, I've offered a way for you to be saved. Matter of fact, I've told you you need to be saved. You recognize in the world around you, you need to be saved. And I provided a savior for you. Why would we reject that? So don't make that decision this morning. And if you're a believer, can you appropriately give God thanks for the mercy that you've been given? And then can you appropriately accept the ministry that he's given? This ministry of the new covenant. You are a declarer of the gospel. You are a declarer of Christ wherever you go if you will open your mouth and speak Jesus. But he says this, we faint not. All right, folks, here's the reality. So this is really directing itself towards believers. You know what this means? We don't have time to drag our heels when it comes to ministry. We don't have time to say, you know what? Oh, I, I'll serve another day. I'm just tired. By the way, uh, you've heard me say before, no is sometimes and maybe many times the right answer to whether you should be doing a ministry or not. But because you may not do that ministry does not mean that you exclude yourself from ministry because this world is going to hell and needs a savior. And we have this moment and this time, and who knows if we'll have the rest of this day? Who knows if we'll have tomorrow? But we have this moment to speak Jesus, this moment where the world can hear the gospel, and you and I are the ones who hold that ministry to the lost as those who've obtained mercy. And he says, we faint not. 
To faint is to become weak, is to become wearied. Strong says by implication to faint. Well, what is the idea to faint? When you faint, you're really not, when you faint, you are really not good for anything. You're just laying on the ground. You say, we don't have time for that. We don't have time. Now, by the way, in this room is all kinds of different energy levels. I thank God for Pastor Phil. He wants to do choir, which the choir gets here. What time do you guys get here? Any of you made it on time yet? I don't know, because we haven't. Um, I think, you know, why, why are we doing that? Because Pastor Phil has energy and everybody that has time and, time and energy gets up here and gets, gets it done, gets the practice done. Everybody has different levels of energy. But here's the thing. We cannot afford to quit. We cannot afford to act in our complacency of freedom. And it's so tempting to do. It's a lot like what's going on in Ukraine. That's thousands of miles removed from us. It's so easy to get it out of our minds, the jeopardy that those people are in. But it's real. And the truth is, eternity is real. Hell is real. People need a savior. We've got to carry this ministry out without fainting. And can I say it a different way? Now, this, this is me taking liberty here. This is not what the passage is saying, but I do think it bears upon what Pastor Phil is preaching in Revelation. Not only do we not need to faint, but we need to not get distracted on what we are here for. We need to be purposeful about the ministry of the gospel. Purposeful about what we are doing. I will tell you, um, I asked Pastor Phil this the other day. I said, Pastor Phil, you've been here working on three years. I've got a question for you. Are you busy? And I said, and of course he said yes. And I said, but I want to, I want to clarify are you just busy, busy, or do you find that you're busy with ministry? And he said, definitely, I, I feel like I'm busy with ministry. I said, all right, let's just, let's just say you're carrying half the load. Can, let me ask you, can you imagine where we would be if you weren't here? And he said, appropriately, well, I know the Lord would raise up people. And it's true, we've been in those positions before. That, and our people are a serving people. But my point is this, is that there's a lot of work to do in ministry and we're really busy about ministry. And it's not just to do an activity and an activity and an activity. Matter of fact, you know, Pastor Phil sent out this last uh, Friday or uh, I think Friday or last night, he sent out uh, flyers to all the teens. You think there's a lot of work going to go into that overnighter? There's a lot of invitations gone out. It's a busy time to be doing that. And then after that, we've got more stuff we're doing and more stuff we're doing. It is a busy time of ministry and it's only gotten busier. But let me say this again, folks. It's not about being busy for being busy's sake. We've got a short time. A short time to accomplish what God has for us as a ministry. And we better not take for granted that we can do it tomorrow. Do what we can while we have time to do it. Now... Don't become weak or wearied or exhausted in the sense that I've just given up. I, I made this statement last night. I said, you know, when I go to heaven, when I go to heaven, 
my body is going to bear the proof that it got worn out. <laughs> Any of you with me there yet? Some of you, some of you young people are like, you old people. <laughs> so the, the point is, we are going to have times of tired, going to have times of weakness. It is a purposeful decision not to faint. And not to take a time out in the cause of the gospel. And not to take a time out in the cause of ministry. Again, not simply to be busy. But to accomplish what we've got to accomplish in the short time that we have. Now, he does address in verse 2 what he's been addressing along. That there are those that are taking advantage of God's people. And he does as a comparison, he says, but we have, he says in verse two, have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now that's a mouthful. There's a lot going on there. But in verse 2, he's saying at the beginning of here, we have made a decision and our ministry is going to be based upon renouncing the hidden things of dishonesty. We are going to be open and truthful and not just sincere, but again, truthful about the doctrines of the word of God. We are going to hold fast to the doctrines of the word of God. And we are going to renounce or to cast off or throw away from us those things which would work in dishonesty. Now, I, I'm just going to say again that I would love to say that this never happens in churches, but that's exactly what Paul is addressing. He's addressing the Corinthian church. And there were those that were working dishonestly within the assembly. And those that were working dishonestly without wanting to come in and take advantage of God's people. So can people who are seeking God be taken advantage of by ministerial leaders? Can they? Uh, if you weren't here, I'll remind you that there's one very popular preacher who preaches in a stadium that it costs $4,500 to sit in the second section back. The idea of paying to walk through the doors of a place that's meant to worship God is crazy. Amen. Ministry has to be based upon truth. And that's really what he's driving at here. Now, folks, I want to say, again, we're not, we don't believe that we're the only church preaching the truth. But I do want to say... It takes a mature people to be willing to receive it. It takes a mature people to be willing to say, I want to hear the truth, even if it's uncomfortable. I want to be rebuked if I need it. I want to be challenged if I need it. I want to be, I want to be told I'm in sin if I'm in sin. I want to be corrected by the word of God. But I want to tell you that that's not where many churches are today. Many churches today are filled with preachers with... Uh, filled with churches with people with um, itching ears, desiring to just be told something nice, to be told something positive, that, hey, you come to God and you're going to find all of your troubles to be washed away. If you come to God, you're going to have the best year you've ever had. 
If you come to the Lord today, you're going to have a a, a special blessing on your life that's just going to change everything, and you're going to start finding your business to be successful. The problem with all of that rot is that it's rot. It's not the Bible. This passage speaks to that truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 speaks to the title here, The Work of the Ministry in Hindrance and hope. Why? Because in this world, we are going to have trouble. And praise the Lord, there's a Savior to be our Savior from this world, but our helper in it, our comfort in it. So we faint not. We have, re- we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness. And craftiness is sneakiness with malintent. It's sneakiness in a, in a devious way. This craftiness or this deceitful uh, craftiness is, is um, meant to mislead people and to take you somewhere you shouldn't be doctrinally. And it's done primarily through what's given here, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. So this is really important. Okay, so I am a preacher of the gospel. I am a preacher of the Bible. I'm not the only one in this room. The preachers are only as good as they stay faithful to the word of God. So I know in this room you could go somewhere else to maybe find a better speaker. And that's probably so. And I don't think that preachers should be bad speakers. The test of a good preacher is whether he is faithful to the word of God or not. So understand that just because somebody is standing in front of you Preaching the word of God does not make it so. In this room, we've encouraged you to read your Bible out loud already together. Since this service began, you've been directed to the Bible throughout this service. It is the Bible that tests everything that comes from this pulpit. And that's the way it should be. But you know what that means? You have a personal responsibility to know the word of God yourself. To know whether or not you're being lied to. To know whether or not you're being misled. And this really speaks to probably one of the greatest tragedies of our generation. We have more access to the word of God than any generation arguably on the planet. And seemingly less knowledge of it. Now, I don't, I don't mean to speak against you. Maybe you're a Bible scholar and praise God for it. But I'm telling you, churches are filled with people that are being duped by the pulpit. Duped by a preacher who's trying to be hip and trying to be cool. You know, it'd be the easiest thing to throw on flip-flops of jeans and throw the tie out and just be cool. I can be cool. No, I can't. Um <laughs> I could be, the trend is to be very European, 
in the style of the pulpit. That's the trend. The test isn't how motivated you can be. The test is what does the Bible say? Now, I hope when you leave this place that you'll be properly motivated to be a surrender to God because of what the Bible says. I hope that'll be true. But my hope is that you will not be deceived just because someone says something about the Bible. What it begs of you is to get into the Word yourself. And by the way, I also don't think that it's necessarily true that the pastor is the most biblically equipped in the room. We are brothers and sisters in Christ together. We all have the same Bible. Amen? And we can all study it independently and together and should. So not handling the Word of God deceitfully. Now this last phrase, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God... Manifesting here of the truth was a, a, an, a, a revealing of the truth. It was saying what the Bible says. And I do want to go ahead and say this again this morning. It's surprising to me that I can talk to people that have been around religion for years and doing things in religious fashion but don't know their Bibles at all. Mike, can I tell that little story? I told it on Tuesday. Mike was sitting next to a lady on the plane, and she was from a charismatic background. He asked about them speaking in tongues, and uh, the lady affirmed that they were, and this is a short version of it. Uh, but then Mike said, well, was there an interpreter there to say what the tongues were about? And the lady said no, and Mike took her to the Bible to say, to show her what the qualifications for speaking in tongues were, that there be an interpreter. You know what she said? Now, this is a lady who's been speaking, at least uh, from what we know, speaking in tongues for years. You know what she said? I never saw that. And you'd be right to ask, well, how can you not know that if you've been using your Bible? So just because people do things that look religious doesn't make them right. What makes things right or wrong are whether or not they are true to the Word of God. Now, the job of a preacher, but the declaration of scriptures, is that is a revelation of truth. The manifestation of truth. But by manifestation of the truth, he says, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And what does that mean? It is really a statement that is meant to say that the truth has a way of speaking to someone's soul even though they may disagree with it. Or even when I say disagree with it, even though they may fight against it. This manifestation commends itself to every man's conscience. So while there may be a rebellion, truth is truth. And when it is given, it just has that, that assessment of that is so. That is so. Now, by the way, sprinkled throughout here, are amens sprinkled throughout. And amen is the heart of a believer when they hear the word of God saying something that is true, where the believer says, amen, let it be so, or it is true. That's the heart behind that. The unbeliever doesn't have the same response. And appropriately so, as the passage goes on to declare. 
But here's the point. Paul was saying that this ministry we have is a declaration of truth that speaks to the heart of every person in the sight of God. And in this, mor- in this room this morning, I have absolute authority to say outside of myself that what you are being given is the truth of God's word. Paul had the liberty to say what he said, not because he was smart about what he was saying, but because he was giving truth. I want to tell you that if I didn't have my Bible, I, do not, I would not have a thing to say to you. So it's amazing to me that churches can gather today and the Bible never be opened. It's amazing to me that a pastor can get up and say little phrases about the Bible, but never really get into the Bible. And and matter of fact, I, I want to tell you what appreciation I have for you. And maybe our guests don't appreciate this in the same way. Maybe you do. Uh, <laughs> Brother Laramie. Schrader, who's coming. This is always a question of guest preachers. So about, about when do you begin your preaching and how long do you go? I want, you to, I want to tell you, I tell them all the same thing. I tell them, I usually get the pulpit around 11.05, 11.10, somewhere in there. Many times I will go 10 to 15 after, but our people will never be sad if you end at noon. I, I always tell them that. And all God's people. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. I don't think that preaching 45 minutes or an hour is the standard of any righteous test. But I do applaud you. This is a personal note. I applaud you for appreciating the Word of God. I I applaud you. It's always an amazing thing. Every time I come out from behind those doors and and come to preach, I'm amazed that anybody's here. Because the church is a miracle of God's working. And that there are people that want to hear the Word of God is an amazing thing to me. Especially in a world where that's becoming less and less the case. Matter of fact, it seems to be the trend that maybe you get a 15 minutes of what's called a message. And a whole lot of other stuff that's called worship, which I wonder if it really is. Now that's me wondering. And by the way, I, I know that the spirit of this as I'm giving it, some of you could say, well, he's talking about it. Well, I'm not, it's not mine to do. It's, it's mine to assess, does this look like what God would want us to do? And each one of us has to make that assessment. But I want to be in a place where as a church, we're holding fast to the word of God, where you can come to this place and without apology, hear the truth of what the Bible says, even if it's politically incorrect or if it's socially intolerant. Truth is truth. And by the way, I, I know this is kind of a cherry-picking thing to say, but, but I think never is that more on display than this. I, I mean, I understand why I got it. I, there's a, a Christian institution that I think did a good thing. They are trying to address one of the social issues of our day biblically. But they called their, and, and this is not an, I, don't have, I have no problem with this. 
they called it uh, some kind of a seminar over the gender crisis. I want you to think about that for a moment. The gender crisis. And I'm just going to say, what crisis? Uh, so since when was the fact that there are two genders become a crisis? Since when did that become not truth? And then we listen to those that are purporting this new truth. And there's no way to assess it except for out of your mind. And it's certainly out of line with what the scriptures teach. Now, there'd be people who say, well, that sounds unloving. No, it's truth. It's like someone sitting, you know, by the way, can, can we just, I'm going to do a little illustration here. I'm going to stop here and just kind of apply some of this. So can we agree that, that smoking is not good for you? Right? So do kids get that real well? No, but we teach them, right? And do they always get it to the realm or to the degree that you mean to teach it? No. So when, when I reference that to our kids, Joe's just our last of the line doing what all the other kids have done. He sees someone smoking and he'll go. <laughs> and he'll say, they're going to die. <laughs> so when you're trying to teach truth, understanding grace and understanding how to say things, and it doesn't mean they're going to die right now. They don't know. I mean, as far as he knows, this is, this is Wally Coyote, who's got the cigar with the dynamite stick in it, and is going to blow. I, maybe that's what's in his head. I don't know. But my point is, when a person goes to a doctor, and the doctor is saying, hey, there are things that can elongate your life. To my, to my grandfather, okay, change your diet. Or to uh, a family member that, hey, you know, you need to stop smoking because it's killing you. It's going to give you COPD, da, 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 da. You can stand in front of that doctor and say, you're a liar. But nobody does that. Because the doctor's committed to telling you the truth, even though it's uncomfortable. And now, that's a general statement, but isn't that generally true? Okay, it's generally true. Don't go off in the weeds on that, okay? The most loving thing that we can do with each other is with love and in grace, tell the truth. Speak the truth. And it may be uncomfortable for someone to hear that they're a sinner doomed for hell outside of Christ, but it's true. And the good news of, of that is there is a Christ, a gracious and loving Christ who made a way for all of us to be saved. And for each one of us that is saved, his truth stays true. So that we then look at life with, how do I order my life? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to glorify you? And what is sin and what is righteousness? And help me to navigate in a position of truth. But at some point, the truth has to matter to you. And so what we want to be is a place 
that manifests the truth of the gospel, that manifests faithfully the truth of what God has said. And listen, folks, let me ask you this. Do you want to believe a lie? Is believing a lie a good thing? Does it bring encouragement at its end? I've yet to hear someone say in a positive reference, I was lied to. So the commendation of this morning, as we begin this chapter four, the work of the ministry in hindrance and hope, we're going to see hindrances lying ahead, but we are basing our lives on the solid truth of the word of God. And what God has said is true. And God is not like man. He is not a liar. And what he says is so and has always been. And you can have the truth today. Now, as an unsaved person, come to Christ. Jesus says, I'm the way. You guys know it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You want to be rescued? Come to Jesus. But believer, do you need the truth today? Believer, can you be misled? Can you believe things that are wrong? Yes. You need God's help and God's guidance today as well. We'll just reference verses that we're very familiar with. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. I'll do my best. If I mess up, you, you pipe in, okay? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. And all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Are these verses true? Are they true for you? So here's the good news as we close the message. God's truth is available to anyone at any time if you're willing to receive it. But this is your life and your future. The time is short. So believers, let's be busy about the work of God. Not just busy, but let's be busy about ministry. Let's get something done for God's glory while we've got time. If there's something in your life that needs to be corrected, tomorrow's not a better day. Today's a good day to be right with God. Amen? Let me encourage you. If there's something in your life where you're not right with God about, did you know that if you come to him asking for, for forgiveness, he promises to give it to you? Do you know that? With no yeah buts, if you come to him seeking forgiveness, he will give it. So today's a great day to be right with God. Today's a great way to affirm, a great day to affirm truth in your life. And lost person, come to Christ today. Come to the truth. In reality, as we close the message, this is an introduction into chapter four. And I love the introduction. It's grounded and built upon truth.